It's the big RTW. Jess and Greg Stone are on a round-the-world trip by motorcycle. They're riding two bikes, and they have a fairly flexible schedule. All sounds doable. Now, there are some things you're going to find rather unusual about the trip. For instance, they left from Guatemala. Guatemala. Then they headed north to the U.S. and Canada, aimed for the Arctic Circle. Or, in fact, that while they're on this adventure riding around the world, they're running their business from the panniers of their motorcycle. And also, to add another layer to this, they're traveling with a 75-pound German Shepherd. That's a full-size dog, in case you didn't pick that up. There's no sidecar, there's no trailer. This all fits on their motorcycles. Oh, and, and I forgot to mention that they're also, at the same time as doing all this, trying to raise $100,000 for the Girl Up charity. Now, I don't know about you, but this seems like a full plate to me. But wait till you hear them. They're actually having the time of their lives. Now, of course, it's not all sunshine and music, as No Trip is. They've already had their share of trouble, and they're only a short way into the trip. But nothing has stopped them from continuing to ride, and I kind of doubt it will. I think you'll agree when you hear it. Now, how do they do it? Their outlook, their secrets, so to speak, and a lot of funny stories, all comes out over the next 90 minutes. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Stay with us. we got a good one for you. Sam Manikin. Ted Simon. Austin Vance. Simon Pavey. Helga Pedersen. Jocelyn Snow. Charlie Borman. Simon Thomas. Lisa Jarvis. Grant Johnson. Jimmy Lewis. Quentin Smoke. And you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. It's wind pressure that powers the Moto Breeze chain oiler. No electrical or vacuum connections. It delivers the oil to a felt pad on your swing arm. No nozzles near your sprockets. One ounce of oil gets 1,000 miles or 1,600 kilometers. Get more miles from your chain and sprockets. Motobreeze.com. And Green Chili Adventure Gear offers American-made heavy-duty luggage systems for all types of motorcycles. You can turn any dry bag into luggage using their strapping system. And, of course, Green Chili Adventure Gear is tested in extreme weather and terrain to withstand the abuse that adventure riding gives it. Tough, reliable gear. GreenChiliADV.com. Best Rest Product is the maker of the Cycle Pump, the best tire inflator for motorcyclists. It'll inflate your flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA. Comes with a lifetime warranty. They also distribute Googletech filters. CyclePump.com. I'm Jess Stone. I'm from Toronto, and I am currently on an around-the-world motorcycle trip. I'm Greg Stone. I'm from Los Angeles, and I'm joining Jess. Greg, welcome back to Adventure Rider Radio. Thanks so much for having us. Really a pleasure to be back. You're you're on a round-the-world trip right now. You're broken down somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where you are right now, but you're broken down. You're waiting for a park. Can you talk about that? 
Sure. So we, um, <laughs> it's a bit of a story, but we were coming back from Loveland uh, in Colorado from Overland Expo Mountain West, passing through Utah. And all of a sudden in Utah, I was getting my temperature gauge turning on. And so I, we thought maybe it was a faulty sensor. We kept an eye on it because it would turn off. And it was about 105 degrees out when we were riding. It was very hot. They're having a heat wave here in Utah. And we uh, we got back on the freeway. We were getting ready to, to direct ourselves down to L.A. And all of a sudden, the light came on and it wouldn't turn off. <laughs> and we were in the middle of traffic. So we, we made our way over to the exit. Uh, we pulled over. And I looked down and I could see that there was radiator fluid leaking on the side of my bike. Mm. Yeah. So we we ended up finding uh, the little bit of shade that we could behind the Chevron and uh, basically started taking the, the bike apart, figuring, trying to figure out where exactly the leak was. And we it took us a while. Finally, we sort of saw it was dripping out from one of the corners. From the radiator, not from, unfortunately, not from a tube, you know, like a hose or something. Yeah, something yeah, simple we, or relatively mm -hmm. simple. Exactly. So all we could do was, was uh, we went to go to one of the auto shops, got stop leak, uh, thought maybe there's a little pinhole leak and this could fill it up and we could be on our way shortly. Tried it a couple of times, no luck, still the leak was there. And by now it's like 830 uh, we're, we're about, uh, I don't know, about an hour away from Salt Lake City and we don't have a working radiator and my bike needs to be towed. Mm. Now, now you got someone to get your, get a rad for you? Yeah, Jess had like a moment of in, of inspiration, I think. <laughs> and, uh, you know, we've used a bunker biker a couple of times on this trip. Um, to great uh, success. And so she's like, you know, I, th I thought I saw maybe something about some people that, you know, occasionally that, that will do a tow. And so she looked up and sure enough in the area, somebody that sort of offers that service just, you know, for, for stranded bikers. Um, he was, I guess, ultimately it was about a hundred mile trip for him to get out to us. But he's like, yes, uh, what was it, a Friday night? It My wife's out of town, Let, you know, let's do this. And about, what, an hour, hour and a half later, going on 10 o'clock at night, he shows up with a trailer, uh, just totally warm-hearted guy. And we load up Jess's bike and basically just kind of dump it at the uh, <laughs> at the BMW in, in um, Sandy, Utah, near Salt Lake, uh, and, and kind of stash it. We have these, like, blackout curtains, we call it for our bikes. You know, most, um, most motorcycle covers are all kind of reflective and everything, but our experience with wild camping is we, we actually wanted no visibility. And so, uh, had our, our upholsterer make us a couple of, <laughs> <laughs> a couple of, uh, blackout curtains. And so we just kind of stashed it there. And sure enough, you know, the next day when they opened up, they confirmed our greatest fears that the radiator was, was pretty much busted. Well, that's a relatively inexpensive repair, I imagine. What, what do they charge for a radiator at BMW? <laughs> Fortunately, BMW, you know, among among all the brands is really like the least expensive. Uh. <laughs> I wish. Yeah, they they quoted us about $800 for the repair or for the exchange, uh, replacement. And then, of course, because we put stop leak into the, um, into the, the reservoir, they needed to pay uh, for us to pay to flush 
wash it out. That's a couple of hours of labor, you know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> to, to flush it. I, I was wondering about that because, you know, the stop leak is always a, a desperate act in my mind to put yes. the stop leak in. But what were you going to do? You're going to ride away with stop leak and, and do the rest of the world on a, on a radiator that's been plugged with stop leak? No, I have my parts bike sitting in North Hollywood in California, uh, which is the exact same bike, a 2013. I'm riding now a 2015 G650 GS. But that bike in North Hollywood has a working radiator. Every other problem, <laughs> but the radiator has been sound. Oh, I see. So the goal was to put stop leak in it to get us to L.A. so that we could switch it out. But that didn't happen. So when we got to the BMW and they told us here in Sandy, Utah, that it was going to cost us that, we thought, wait, we've got that parts bike. So we started thinking about different ways that we could get that radiator uh, to us here in Utah. So Greg was planning, once they told us, Greg was getting ready to go uh, to do the ride back to L.A. by himself, take out the radiator himself overnight it to me here in Utah and then we would I would fix it up and then I would ride my bike back with Moxie. Now very important to say that um, I was going to overnight it to Jess rather than ride it back because my bike being far from brand new <laughs> would I mean you know in the midst of this fiasco that like my bike would break down <laughs> so it, the whole idea was to make a single you know it was a one-way like just <laughs> just get there and then rely on other things. Which which is still pretty convoluted. I mean, that that's a huge trip to take to go and take a rat out and then mm-hmm. uh, mail it back or, or courier it back rather. For sure. Other than the fact that, that uh, Los Angeles is, was, is our destination, um, both because we have some, some kind of, um, you know, sponsor corporate partners that are out there as well as um, we're on our way to Baja. Mm, so that that's generally the direction that we were going um but and that happens that. so no so this is where um i guess the brotherhood sisterhood of bikers kind of comes back into it again i mean this wonderful community that we're all part of right so um this friend of ours uh, Cody who actually also rides on uh, a a bike with his dog his uh 80 pound husky um, here's where I shout out Husky on a Husky on Instagram. <laughs> um, I mean, I, and I don't want to get into a, a brand and breed thing. I do think that a German Shepherd. A GS on a GS is like way Kind of trumps a Husky on a Husky. <laughs> oh, wow. I didn't see that one coming. That's good. <laughs> <laughs> but no, but um, wonderful guy um, and um, kind of a crazy motorcyclist too. Uh, he, so he has a friend out in Glendora, which for anyone who's not from the LA area is basically the same thing as LA and called him up and was like, Hey, um, what do you think of heading over and doing a little surgery on a bike? No, that's not exactly what happened. Cody was planning on doing the ride with you and saying, I'm going to come and meet you there. I'll be able to see you when we're in, when we're in Hollywood together. And he said, no, 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 no. That's, that's nuts. Yeah, that's nuts. <laughs> I can go over there uh, on, uh, on on Saturday morning or on Sunday morning it was, and I can take the radiator out. I can get everything you need and I can overnight it to you. <sighs> and thus it was done. So he went over, he he goes and, and finds your bike wherever it's stored and mm-hmm. takes the rat out for you, packages it up, throws it in the courier and away you go. And we've been tracking it, uh, UPS, like hitting refresh, you know, <laughs> every every couple hours, well, still big, on track. The big issue was it's, it was Labor Day weekend. And so obviously Monday, everything is closed and then UPS doesn't pick up till Tuesday. So now we're on to Wednesday 
and it should arrive this morning. And today we will be doing some bike maintenance to get us on the way. I'm sure you've heard that that saying that says a watched kettle never boils. You know, and that's almost <laughs> the same thing when it comes to packages. You know, you, you just can't look at the, the tracking. You just can't. It just stresses you out too much. And then it makes the package take longer. I don't know how, but it does. Uh, I totally agree. I've And I've never been less relaxed in my life. <laughs> no, but it it is like, it's that example of, I mean, you make a plan and then um, you just have to be prepared to be flexible about what's actually going to happen. Yeah. Yeah. And it's pretty incredible how, how people will step up many times, strangers step up because they're motorcyclists and you're a motorcyclist and help you out. But you know, you're, you're in the United States, you have a breakdown. Did you not think of AA or, or, you know, one of those, those programs that you can get a tow, like with the planning of this trip? Well, I guess no. I mean, we, so we live or lived in Guatemala. Um, so we kind of don't, really regularly have, I guess, any of that kind of infrastructure. We sure have been towed in Guatemala before. (laughs) (laughs) Where the cost is much, much less uh, and much easier for for us to get a tow. Mm. And uh, yeah, we really weren't, uh, to be honest, we weren't really expecting it um, in the States and Canada, which was the, the first leg of our trip. Bizarre too, because it's not as though it's our first, uh, you know, breakdown or problem of the trip. Far from it. I mean, Jess was talking about a parts bike and that's because it was the bike she started the trip on, which, uh, can like had this consistent and very nefarious, uh, series of oil leaks mm-hmm. that ultimately turned into a, what was it? A bill for six, six thousand plus dollars for an engine rebuild. Yeah. yeah. Which was basically the cost of a new used bike. <laughs> so hang on, you started out on that other bike. You started out this trip. You started out on the other bike and you've abandoned one bike already and had to buy a new <laughs> yeah. one. Oh, abandoned. It sounds so sad. But yes, that's exactly what happened. From from Guatemala, we made it up to um, to Los Angeles, basically. And yeah, we got up to, uh, we crossed and went into Albuquerque. Yes, right. Proceeded to do a, uh, we call it an iron tail. So this is the iron butt thousand, you know, saddle sword 1000 across to California. Um, And during that is the first time we noticed um, this like shutting off, right? The stalling issue. Yeah, I was having this issue where the bike would just shut off when it was either in gear in like first gear or in neutral. And we, we couldn't figure out what it was. And we were seeing a little bit of an oil leak, which is something that's been plaguing me for I probably... I took that bike to four BMWs on the way up from Guatemala to see if they could fix it. And there was always one little gasket or tube after another that they tried to replace, but never solved the problem. So when we finished the, our iron tail, we brought it to the dealer where we actually bought the bikes from originally in Ventura County in California, had them look at it. And basically we're told that it requires an engine rebuild. But what's leaking with what what sort of oil leak is requiring an engine rebuild? So I had this issue when we were in Guatemala that I had a maintenance battery in it that ended up overflowing. The outtake tube got disconnected. It spilled battery acid on some of the on the engine, basically uh, eating through some of the tubing. And so they replaced some of it. Um, and I think in the in Guatemala, when they did some of the replacement, it might not have been done that correctly causing additional issues and additional places of leakage. 
And so it was just one thing after another. And I guess that's what happens when you bring your bike to four or five different dealers along the way. Everybody tries to to do a different thing. And it just sort of compounded the issue and got to that point where um, they would basically have to either they take the whole thing apart, put in new seals, put in new uh, tubing to try and solve that problem. It's also probably worth mentioning. I mean, you know, we're joking like uh, over $6,000 bill, you know, the whole thing was not that. It was an 80,000 mile bike with many other things. With a clutch that needed to be replaced and a number of different things. Right. So it was the kind of thing where, you know, only maybe a couple of these things have to be done right now to be roadworthy. But, you know, this is what you're looking at in, in the miles ahead. And as we were headed towards the Arctic Ocean, uh, and a fair bit of, I think, wilderness. Like, you know, you start doing the calculations of what else is going to fail and what that's going to cost and the costliness of it failing when you're really out in the middle of nowhere and it starts to point you in a direction. (laughs) (laughs) And was this part of the planning process? I mean, you're in Guatemala, you guys are from LA and Toronto. Was this part of the planning process thinking the bike is old, it's long in tooth, it was already giving you issues. If you need to replace it, probably the place to replace it is maybe in LA or, or Toronto or something like that. Was, was that in the plan? Yeah, we had the thought definitely that we were going to get it like fully, fully serviced when we got to LA. That was, we were waiting for that because we just had more confidence in the, the, that dealer that we knew. And so we wanted to bring the bike there. And we just, as, as we got closer and closer and these issues kept coming, we started thinking it through and we're like, maybe it makes more sense that uh, we do need to look for a different bike. And I had 80,000 miles on it. Um, Greg has 140,000 kilometers on his. Um, so we we knew that they were getting older, but we really thought, you know, we could do this on these bikes still. But as we got closer and these issues kept coming, it made more sense. So I ended up uh, looking online while we were there. It was like right before Overland Expo West in Flagstaff, where which we were- was an additional stress in yeah. that sense because you know most of the time on a on a big trip, I mean, flexibility and and sort of no um, clear like plan timelines is the way to to go, right? But Overland Expo was was super um, generous to Jess and you know engaged her in a bunch of things. And the last thing you want to do is not show up. Yeah. When you have presentations and everything set. So we were sort of on a time crunch and I, I have a BMW G650 GS. It was a 2013. Um, I have my K9 moto cockpit that my, my 75 pound shepherd Moxie rides in and it's fitted specifically for that bike. I have all the accessories for that bike. And so it just made sense to, basically get the same one again. So then it's not even an additional cost in terms of getting all new accessories, retrofitting my cockpit again, um, and get going through all of that process. So that's why I specifically looked for the same bike again. Um, and I found a 2015 G650 GS, which only had 10,000 miles on it. Um, and that was the one that I, I continued the trip on. Mm. Was it sad to see the other one set aside? I mean, because you've done so much with it. Oh my gosh, it was so sad. So it's sitting at Greg's dad's house in North Hollywood. We basically stripped it down. 
Um, and it was just sad to see her go. We had a, a swan song with with Moxie Thumper. That was the name of that one. Um, yeah, we went to the uh, the Sierra Nevada mountains in California for a few days with it stalling like the whole way. Um, had a, uh, what was it? Like the, the battery just totally conked out because yeah. it was like minus three. What would that be? In, uh, 30, 30, 28 degrees yeah, or something? Yeah, 28 mm-hmm. degrees out. It was and freezing. And it just couldn't start and we killed the battery trying to get it started. I mean, so it, it has, been run through its paces. Yeah. Well, that can also eat away at the nostalgia view of it as well, at least at the time when it's running like such a piece of junk and you're thinking, I just want to get away from this. Yeah. I think Jess was at that point. And then add on top of this. So, um, Rawhide was really great to, um, to, you know, to to provide Jess with an off-road course, right? Um, because that's a whole other side of, you know, going up to the Arctic Ocean and all the the, off-road that that entails. Um, and so she did that class, did the heck out of it, and also sort of dropped the heck out of her bike. That was, that was my new bike. That was the yeah. new bike. And we just so happened to have all the replacement levers, uh, <laughs> everything that was bent and twisted and broken. So I was able to just replace it all. So, uh, yeah. So now I have Luna Laguna. Uh, that's my new bike. And that's uh, she now has parts of Moxie Thumper on her. Right. And the old bike now is probably just looking like a, a rack in the wreckers with all the stuff yeah. taken off of it. I know. Yeah. We were thinking about donating it or uh, or junking it, but then we thought, no, let's, let's just hang on to it. We just sort of had this, this sort of feeling that maybe we might need that bike again at some level. And we definitely did. What's that do for your budget? You know, when when we're talking trip planning, (laughs) everyone thinks about what they're going to spend per day, add a little bit for repairs. You had to buy a whole new bike. That has to hurt. Yeah. That, I mean, that is absolutely tricky. In one sense, we've, you know, we've always had good luck with sort of things working out on the road. Um, and so there is a lot to be said for kind of the best bike for around the world trip or really any trip is the one you have. Um, and so, and, and I think I would, we would do it this way again. I mean, despite Mm -hmm. all the hassles and everything. Um, and just as an example, sometimes the best things come out of it. For example, uh, we had a total oil leak gusher that happened, after a quick fix at a BMW because Jess had an event the next day and we made it a kilometer maybe. Yeah. And the oil just started oozing. I mean, just I have never out. had anything like that. So that was obviously on Moxie Thumper, the my my original 650. Yeah. yeah, just started leaking on the side of the road. And luckily we were right beside a gas station. And all of a sudden in the distance, we sort of see that there's some bikers there. And we thought, okay, let's see if they have any information about getting a tow because there was no way I could continue riding this. So Greg goes up to them. They're they're like all in their leathers and everything. <laughs> it was one of the, you know, uh, this is Mexico City is one of the, the biker gangs there. Real sons of anarchy type. <laughs> um, but really great guys. And one of their, I think it was a Harley, yep. um, was, uh, was totally grounded as well. They couldn't get it started. And so they had been waiting for like over an hour for a tow and were at least a half bottle into uh, Mezcal. <laughs> <laughs> I am because Greg still has so, to ride. His well, bike. yeah. So, so they just invited Jess to join. They said, when our tow truck gets here, like, you know, you can take the first tow in the meantime, have a drink and you say yes and yes. <laughs> and, um, and it, and it all works out. Yeah. We kept in contact with them and it was just, it's just a funny situation, but really, really lovely, really lovely guys. But point being, I mean, it, you just, you, you know, you take the bike that you have and, um, and I guess deal with these things on the road. I think for, for a lot of people, like, you know, 
there's kind of the save up before you go. And then you're, you're on this sort of budget that, that only sort of gets diminished. For us, it's a little more complicated because we didn't really and don't really have a, a set budget. Um, we work and travel. And so, uh, as goes, I guess, cockpit and dog gear sales. <laughs> so goes, you know, what, what happens next? That's interesting. You, you, so you're doing this round the world trip and running a business from the road. What's that like? It is difficult. <laughs> so, so the way that we do it is we ride for four days where we basically do as much wild camping as we can do. That's where we do all of our, our travel and, and sightseeing. And that's where we're filming our, our video series. And then, then the three days we spend working. So the three days that we're working, we either find an Airbnb or a motel or somewhere where we can have a pretty good internet connection. And that's where we do the video editing. That's where we keep in touch with our team in Guatemala that is doing the the dog gear and the the cockpits. And we and we work with our customers at that moment. So it's we don't have a day off, four days riding, three days working. Um, it is go, go, go. And so that's what is fueling our around the world trip. It is wonderful and terrible. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, one thing that we have found, I mean, there's no question that uh, it's it's a load of work, um, but it's spectacular. I mean, you won't hear us complain. It doesn't mean we don't complain. We just won't <laughs> let you hear us. <laughs> but, but um, you know, one great thing about it is that uh, you find a lot of people on on their first trips in particular, and they'll kind of go, 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 because this is the trip of a lifetime, and then kind of hit a wall. And then they need like a week off because they're just like totally burnt out. And we've, we've run across mm-hmm. a number of travelers in that situation. This does force that change, which is really wonderful. I mean, you go, you go crazy for four days and you do as much as you can do. And then you kind of pull out, even though you're not resting, you know, you do have time to uh, do your laundry, mm-hmm. to air out your gear, to maybe patch a tent, whatever needs to be done. And then you dive back in. So it forces this back and forth that for us has actually been an incredible way to travel um, because then, you know, you're not like just, okay, we're on, uh, well, I mean, we have had like a day 16 of camping, camping, (laughs) you know, in a row, but most of the time you are, um, you know, you're kind of, uh, what's the word? Like uh, you have a rhythm Mm -hmm. that allows you to kind of shift back and forth and keep everything fresh pretty much at all times. So during the the time, those four days where you're traveling, are you, you know, cut off from the world, so to speak? Are you incommunicado with your business and everything? You just say, nope, we're gone? No, we we seem to be doing really well with connection. um, And we've always been able to sort of find either at a gas station or something like that where we can connect again. Um, We do have a, a manager on ground in Guatemala and she is stellar Graciela and she is the one who manages everything that's going on there and so she is aware of where we are and what we're doing and so if she needs anything she knows um, how she can get in contact with us and we do our best to to get with her as soon as possible and I think for the most part you know the the way we've uh, tried to do this like we'll we'll take a, a fire road or something like that we'll be out of touch for some number of hours or maybe through the afternoon and we'll and be, then and then we'll camp that night, mm-hmm. you know, without, without coverage. And then probably at some point the next day, all of a sudden the, the signals pop up on your <laughs> phone, you stop, you, you do a few emails and, and do kind of the urgent stuff. 
And, and that kind of patchwork through those four days gets you to your work days where then you can really dig in. Is it oversight that you're doing or are you actually doing customer relations while you're on the road? Well, um, both. I mean, so Jess will reach out to all the customers, answer questions and things like that. Um, I am doing in, in terms of the cockpits, like, you know, each one's a custom build. So people will upload photos, upload measurements. And at each step, there's, there's sort of video instructions that personalized video instructions we provide as well as, as sort of a markup, you know, with those measurements and everything. And, and so that is generally done by me. So you're very much working. Yes. So you're not just oh, checking yeah. in to say, hey, do you, are you still making money? You're, you're part of the business every day. <laughs> oh, yeah, definitely. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, the way you say it sounds wonderful. <laughs> I want that version. <laughs> but no, it's it's day-to-day grind, yeah. Yep. We're going to take just a quick break while I tell you about a few things. I know you're going to be interested in that, but stay with us. Coming up is the trip plan and how it's drastically changed and why and what they're doing about it. Firing bear bangers, how Jess overcame her fear of, of the more gnarly sections, of riding those gnarly sections, well, and, and so much more. Stay with us. So this is your last chance to for 2022 anyway to attend the largest overlanding event possibly in the world, Overland Expo, Overland Expo East. October 7 to 9, 2022 at the Oak Ridges Estate in Arrington, Virginia. Now, they've got several options for attending from day passes to weekend passes. Also, special moto passes, which get you into some special motorcycle-only events. They've uh, they've got a pass called the Moto Overland Experience, with a, which is a sort of a VIP pass for motorcyclists, including weekend camping. Also, tailored instruction for those who bring their own motorcycle. You pick up some tips on, on riding. And here's another reason to go to Overland Expo East is Sam Manicom from Arasho is going to be there in Arrington, Virginia at the Oak Ridges Estate. It's one of Sam's stops. He's doing the U.S. tour over the coming weeks. Um, I guess that'll be coming up to near his end. But anyway, get your tickets online. Tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Don't forget to say hello to Sam for us at the uh, Oak Ridges Estates in Arrington, Virginia, Overland Expo East, October 7 to 9. And don't forget when you're buying your ticket, you're talking to them, tell them you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, for us in the Northern Hemisphere, the days are getting shorter. The mornings are getting colder. Obviously, falls on its way. It's a reminder for us to dress warmer. Being cold on a motorcycle is, is just unacceptable, really, because it gets downright dangerous. Your actions slow down. Your mind begins to numb. And the thing is, when you get cold, it's very difficult to get warm again. In particular, your feet. Your feet are on the foot pegs. They're in the wind and the water. They're bound to get cold. Now, I've spent a lifetime doing out. Well, not a lifetime because that would be the full life. That's a weird statement. Okay, so let me just say, since I was knee-high to a grasshopper, doing all kinds of things in the outdoors, I've tried all kinds of gear. So when Duke Lambert from Pearly's Possum Socks said he was sending me some socks to try out, yeah, it didn't mean much. That was until I opened the package. And as soon as you do, as soon as you feel those socks, you know you're onto something good here. It's a unique blend of merino wool and possum fur. These two fibers together do incredible things for us, like keeping your feet warm, wicking away moisture, resisting spores that would make your feet stink, your socks smell, you know what it's like in boots. All the things that some multinational chemical companies are probably spending millions of dollars trying to replicate. Pearly's possum socks are using these natural fibers to do it, and they're knitted into a shape specifically designed for us motorcycle riders. Now, I've worn Pearly's a ton, and I can say without question, they are the best cold weather sock I've ever tried, not just for riding, for anything outdoors, period. I made them the official sock of Adventure Rider Radio just as a way of recognizing an incredible product. You'll know what I'm talking about when you try them. 
Pearly'sPossumSocks.com is the website. Anytime you're dealing with them, throw in there that you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Pearly'sPossumSocks.com. Make no mistake, your foot pegs are everything to you as an adventure rider. When you stand, you use peg weighting to steer. They're your connection. When you sit and ride hundreds of miles or kilometers, they're your connection. Simply getting on and off your bike, they are your connection. So with something as important as a foot peg, like a mechanic will tell you about quality tools, quality tools not only make the job easier, but sometimes they make the difference of either getting the job done or getting yourself in trouble. Same goes for foot pegs. Now, IMS Products has a full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs, and here's why I want you to look at IMS Products. IMS began way back in 1976, and ever since then has been owned and run by riders and racers. Now, if you know any riders and racers, you'll know how they are sort of obsessed with the ride, the race, the community. They're doing it because they love what they do. IMS has designed their adventure motorcycle foot pegs from the ground up, Then they've tested and took feedback from top racers and riders to get the result they now have in their lineup. IMSproducts.com is the website. Have a look at their full line of adventure motorcycle foot pegs. IMSproducts.com. What is the the, the whole plan here as far as where you're going? Because you you said about, you know, one of the great things is not having much of a plan. So you have the flexibility, which clearly you have some of that just with your setup right now with working on the road, which is a tremendous way to do it for sure. But what's the plan for the actual route? Are you just bouncing around or or do you actually have a destination here and destination there? We do have destinations. We actually just changed our plan um, due to necessity, actually. But so, back up. So what, what's been done so far? So we started in Guatemala March 5th. We have gone through Guatemala. We went up in into Mexico through mainland Mexico, entered into the States, went up the Pacific coast through British Columbia into Alberta a little bit through the Yukon. And then we did the Dempster Highway, which is the 800 kilometers of dirt to get you to the Arctic Ocean um, at Tuktoyaktuk. So that's where our first major lands, landmark, I guess you would say, uh, was. So we reached the Arctic Ocean and that was now about a month ago. And so after that, the plan, uh, the original plan was that we were going to come back down from the Arctic Ocean. We were going to ride across Canada to Toronto to see my family. And then we were going to ship everything or fly everything to Barcelona so that we could start going south into Africa. And that was the original plan. And I basically had everything organized basically before we started this trip. Uh, I had the quotes, I had all of the information and what I, what we found as we were coming down and I was reviewing the costs of everything. And this was just now about a month ago. And yes, uh, gas prices have slowly started to come down, but throughout this whole process of this trip, things just got really, really expensive. And so as we were coming down, I checked back in with, with the, the, the vendors that we were going to use for shipping because That means uh, flying two motorcycles, sending my dog as unaccompanied cargo, and then flying ourselves. She's in an extra large crate. So, you know, you need to have ear room and schnout room and everything. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so when I checked in on pricing, it's about another 50% increase from what I originally planned. Over just a couple of months, it's increased that much. 
Well, it was a little bit, it was, so I planned this back before. So this was in 2021 at the end of the year is when I sort of had everything so about organized. over five months. Yeah. Uh-huh. So it's, wow. it's been a few months. So we, we reviewed it as we were coming down from the Arctic Ocean and we thought, you know, like I just bought a new bike. We had some unexpected expenses along the way and the, the trip go roughly around the world. It's a fundraiser. It's we're trying to raise a hundred thousand dollars for a uh, girl up, which is a girls empowerment nonprofit. And we started thinking like, is this really the the best way that we, we can do this trip and, and keep it going and spend our money. And so when I reached the Arctic Ocean and I looked at Greg and I was like, I think maybe the next adventure should be to go down. So instead of going directly to Africa now, why don't we go south and let's do tip to tip, top to bottom. Let's, I, I rocked the Dempster Highway and now it was time for me to go down south to Patagonia <laughs> and try the Carretera Astral and see how I do with that. And then from there, we would, um, which would be in about a year's time, we would ship to South Africa and then start Africa at that point. Now, the hope is that costs are going to drop somewhat and that maybe just it'll take them some of the time to to recoup what you've had to put out on the new bike. Well, yeah. And and I think uh, as well as Jess was saying, like, and she's generally good at this, at kind of the flexibility. Uh, I'm sometimes not as good. No. But, you know, <laughs> you, you get like a, a, a brick wall all of a sudden in front of you or some type of obstacle. And, you know, kind of your first um, thought is like, okay, I'm going to go up it, I'm going to go around it, or I'm going to go through it. And there's going to be a Greg and Jess shaped hole in that wall. Um, and there's, um, I guess when you get just a tiny bit mature, more mature, you stop for a moment. You're like, okay, before I just blast my th- myself through this wall, is there something I'm missing? You know? And that's when we kind of stopped and looked around and said, well, I mean, maybe there's like a bigger adventure to have first. Mm-hmm. So there is a bit of going with the flow as well as uh, forcing things to go the way you want them to. <laughs> you you mentioned there taking a course for Jess took a course with with mm-hmm. Jim Hyde at Rawhide Adventures. Jess, was this because you had fears of your level of uh, skill for riding off road? What, what was the impetus for that? Yeah, one hundred percent. I I started the trip in Guatemala, still really anxious about the off road, and. And I'm saying that with, I guess, a bit of a caveat, like, yes, I have done a lot of off-road. I have done it with Moxie on the back. I've gone through difficult off-road stretches, um, but never really felt confident. It was that thing where we would start out in the day and I would, Greg would say, well, maybe we should go down this path. And the first thing I would do is I would go onto Google Maps and and look at the the satellite view and see, is it dirt or not? <laughs> and that's what I would do every time, you know, like, cause I, and then if it was dirt, then I'm anxious the whole day because I know that at the end of the day, there's going to be this stretch that I'm going to have to do. And am I going to make it? And am I going to, am I going to go down? What's the issue? And, and all of that. So I, I never really felt confident about it, but when, when we, when we continue started on this trip, I knew that I was going to have to do dirt. Like there's no way you can go around the world and just stay on the pavement. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially you if you go around Guatemala <laughs> and stay on the pavement. <laughs> well, especially when you want to go and see and do the things that we want to do, which normally brings us off the beaten path. And, you know, part of that too is, is the camping and um, particularly with having Moxie um, wild camping or dispersed camping is by far the better option, at least for us. 
where she can roam off leash and everything. So you have these cases where, you know, there's, there's loads of options and wonderful places to go. But if Jess did make it, she'd kind of be a bit of a basket case worrying about the <laughs> next day having to get out, you know, so it's, it's yeah, that, that was the thing yeah. I worry about. Like I can get myself in now. I have to get myself out. So now I can't even enjoy being at the campsite and relaxing. What's the worry? Is the worry you controlling the bike or is it because you have the dog on the back as, as sort of that added responsibility, et cetera? No, the dog, Moxie, she doesn't really, it doesn't really cause me that much additional anxiety. It's anxiety that I've had from, from the beginning when I started to ride, just never feeling like I had the skills and the capability to do it. It was always anytime your back tire slides a little bit in the gravel or you hit a little patch of sand, I start thinking that everything moving forward is going to be even more difficult. And I sort of Mm. psych myself out about it as much as it never happens that way, because uh, what I've what I've seen is normally the roads are okay. You get into a bad patch, but then it'll it'll be okay. You know, like you'll come, you'll hit a rise, you'll go down. And as much as you think you're just going to go steep down to the very bottom, there's going to be a flat, a flat area where you can sort of coast again and, and get your bearings so it's 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 taken me a long time to to feel that way and it was really the the rawhide course that solidified it for me so uh Jim Hyde provided me with a private class with Gina when we were in Castaic California and she she went she's through the gunslinger she's awesome yeah I couldn't get like an easy <clears throat> trainer I couldn't get one of those guys who just like will will kind be of mellow exactly <laughs> if I if I want to like sort of slack a little bit he'll be like okay that's fine no I got Gina who like was on me like every minute of the day to make sure that I was getting the most out of it you're saying this in a good way right of you know, course, she, she's, of she's there to teach you and you are gonna learn this and we're serious yes, about this right? yes this yeah. is this is exactly what I needed because I I had taken a course or two before before. And, and it normally it was like a group class. And so I would just always let everybody go in front of me. Like, yes, everybody else wants to do it. I'll just sort of hang behind and I'll do it maybe once or twice, but I won't really push myself. And so I, I needed somebody like a Gina to really get me through it. And the best thing is, so about what, halfway through the morning, Jess is doing the, the uh, enduro steering and just, you know, she's nailing it. She's going between the cones and then I'm filming it. Gina kind of turns to me. She's like, you know what? I'm concerned that Jess is going to revert back and start sitting again once the, the class is over. And she kind of thinks about it. And then she, oh, I know what to do. And she goes over, she pulls Jess over and she sits on the back of the bike. And now it's a two up uh, class. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and that was exactly that. I needed that because it, it, it was, it was teaching me how to ride it basically with Moxie on the back. Um, so I ended up doing the course with, with Gina on the back of my bike practicing all of the skills again. And it was, it was great because having that weight on the back, that's how I had been riding this whole time. That's the feeling that I knew. Uh, so it was good to practice those slow skills, speeds like that. Um, and it's, it was such a help. Yeah. It's, it's just a lot of weight on the back. And, and I don't, I don't think the dog doesn't move. Moxie doesn't really move in the back because she's sort of strapped in, isn't she? Yeah, she's harnessed in in the laying down position. So you right. don't really, I don't really feel her moving unless she like sees a cat or something on the side of the road. And then she, she lunges a little bit because she's harnessed in, she's not going to go anywhere. <laughs> but the thing is though, with that extra weight, it totally changes the handling of the bike having weight on it. And it's an interesting thing for people to consider when they're, when they're planning a trip. If you don't ride with a loaded, you don't have a clue what this bike is going <laughs> to yes. feel like off road in particular, even on road, any, anytime. Yeah, it's funny you say that. We actually just did some demo rides with some other bikes. 
I rode that thing and it felt like a bicycle. And I was like, I would love to feel what it, what I would, I want this bike loaded. I want to see what it actually feels like if I, when I'm riding this. So yes, I completely agree. Yeah. You can't compare it to your bike unless it's loaded up the same way. No, definitely Mm -hmm. not. Hey, what Mm -hmm. was the turning point with Gina in this course where you all of a sudden felt that you're empowered now, where you've taken away the fear, where you're going to stop, hopefully (laughs) you're going to stop looking up on Google maps to see if it's dirt. (laughs) Uh, I, you know, so Gina was able to give me the basics again. We went through, we did all of the skills, um, and I practiced them there, but coming out of that, I still like, it's not like all of a sudden there was this big light and I could do any, uh, any dirt road. What really solidified it for me was practicing after the fact. And she was really clear about that too. She talks about people who will come and do a class. They'll do the beginner one. They'll do really well during that day. And then like a few weeks later, they want to come back already and do the intermediate without doing any practicing in between. Mm, yeah. And it's the practicing that you really need. And and Greg, to his credit, he did a, a great job of, of finding routes where I had to practice it. Like uh, we would specifically take detours through forest roads, which we started with, then more deeper gravel roads um, into the mud a little bit. So I was able to practice it as we continued our trek north. So from California all the way up to the Yukon, we did a lot of dirt uh, before we started the Dempster Highway. It's funny how that goes because you start with these like, you know, five kilometers is of dirt is like <laughs> this awful, oh my God, are we going to ever get, and then all of a sudden you're doing 30, 40, you know, hundred kilometer stretches. And then full days. Yep. Yeah. And it's no problem. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. Now, Greg, for you, you know, are you a good off-road rider? Do you have training in that? Or do you just have that male <laughs> overconfidence thing where you just say, no, I'm, I'm male, so therefore I can ride? Yes, and yes, and yes. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm, I am competent. I am far from, from excellent. But um, I did listen and attempt when yes. we took the course back in Guatemala. And I, you know, I applied it more. And I think that's ultimately what it boils down to. And you had to. more confidence uh, in yourself than I ever did. Yeah. Mm, yeah. Confidence is a, is a lot. I mean, it's, it's really, it's everything. We, we talk on our rider skills about that, which you may have heard mm-hmm. and, and uh, confidence will make the difference. Yeah. And I, when we did, so on the Dempster highway, which is like uh, all gravel, it's a completely unpaved. There is uh, deep gravel, there's dirt, there's some uh, mud when it's raining, a lot of mud when it's raining. Uh, that was basically what I was suiting up for. That was the purpose of doing all of this practicing because we didn't make it there on our first trip 10 years ago. We didn't make it to the Arctic Ocean. It was something that uh, Greg always wanted to do. I was sort of happy 10 years ago that we didn't have to do it. But uh, now I was like ready for it. I wanted to get to the Arctic Ocean. I wanted to put my feet in there and and say that I, I made it. Feet and paws. Feet and paws. Yeah. So it was... It was that building of confidence to get to to that stretch, to be able to do that stretch to ride. Uh, I think we, it took us five days. We we did it slowly, but we did five days of full off road riding all the way up to the Arctic Ocean. Um, and really, uh, that was the most I have ever done. Uh, the longest stretch of of off road that I've ever done. And and on the way back, it was the most difficult stretch of of off road I had ever done because it started to rain, which caused slick mud, deep mud, so much so that we had to bail out and wild camp on the side of the highway. Well, you know how you have that moment where you're, you're riding along in like, uh, what third, first year and fourth mm-hmm. gear and it, it's, it's drizzling. And then you go, okay, I'm now I'm in third gear. You're, then you're in second. You're starting to see like, um, 
like four wheel vehicles on the side of the road that have just pulled over and like, well, we're done with this. And you're kind of like, should I be taking a hint from this? And and then you're starting to see that mud piling up. And and then cars are coming in the opposite direction. And they're like, you got to be careful. Out, like, yeah. No, no. They would tell you like further down, it gets even worse. It's getting even oh, worse. Oh, that's great. That's just what you <laughs> yeah. need, isn't it? I know. <laughs> I mean, it's so, nice. They're, they're trying to, they're trying to save you from something, but uh, yes. yeah, that certainly eats away at the nerves. No, for sure. And and that's one like huge takeaway from us. Like we, we really don't ever use the words like how's the road. Yeah, anymore. we've, we we've given up ask. on asking that, especially because everybody has such a different uh, perspective on the quality and the difficulty of a road, depending on your skill level. There were people who told us that the Dempster Highway was like riding on marbles the whole time and that they were they there was deep gravel, like four to six inches of deep gravel throughout the whole thing. Um, and then. <laughs> just those things didn't come true. And then other people said that they rode through like it was just so simple um, and that it was nothing. So it really depends on your skill level and who you're speaking to. And if they ride a motorcycle or not, too, because then people in cars will either um, underestimate or overestimate your ability on a motorcycle yeah. for certain stretches. So we, we've we've stopped asking that question. Do you go down now? Do you drop the bike? Do you do you still have trouble? I don't think I have well, dropped it off road since that, since the course. I think you've that had a couple of crashes real, and drops on pavement, pavement over. So maybe dirt. that's a really good sign. <laughs> <laughs> even on road course now. When, when you're saying, when you're saying off road, you're talking dirt roads really is what you're yes. talking about. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, I haven't. I feel like I've been doing great. I haven't gone down. We've gone through really difficult stretches. Um, and I've just been rocking my skills. I, I'm now that you're, this is the first time I'm really reflecting Let's, back and on celebrating it. Celebrating it. Yeah. No, I haven't gone down. I've done stupid things on, on, on pavement where it's been off camber and I looked for another car and I forgot to look the other way and I look and I drop my bike. But those are things that just happen. <laughs> but off road, I know I, the whole Dempster Highway didn't go down, felt really comfortable. Uh, we came out of that and we did other stretches and I would turn to Greg and be like, that was a really nice dirt road, you know, and I would never have said that in the past. Oh, that's nice. You, you you mentioned dropping it now, though, on, on pavement. That's kind of worse, isn't it? I know. It well, like kills your bike. Yeah. yeah. This. And I, I have to say, first and foremost, that I blame Harold from Giant Loop 100% for this. this uh -oh. is, I mean, he planted it and, and basically he made it happen. <laughs> But we had visited Giant Loop and in, gotten in a couple of the, of the gas bags from them, right? Because that's absolutely something you need on a motorcycle up north. And he was telling us about the Painted Hills and they had just done the Giant Loop rally recently. And like, you know, that that kind of clay mud just just destroys your, your, your tread. And so he's like, just keep an eye out because it's been drizzling and all that. Well, sure enough, we get to a section on our way on the pavement, on our way to the Painted Hills where like mud had swept across the road, but it had dried just to that point, I guess, where... Where it looked dry, where you could see the tire tracks uh, through the mud and that top layer looked perfectly dry. Right. And Jess decided that it was unnecessary to stand because it was pavement, I, yeah. right? Like it, you're just on tarmac. And she goes through and um, she starts, she does like a one side, other side, other side. I mean, like three or four back and forth. Yeah. And I couldn't hold it. And I, I went down and it was a hard down so much so that like my side case like knocked off uh, the rack. Um, so, yeah. And I'm following too closely because, of course, I'm filming her going through this because this is, oh, great. You know, zip right through it. 
<laughs> and I see her start to lose it. And all I can think is just calculate whichever side she's going to go down on, go down on the other side, <laughs> throw to yourself sure, in the other yeah. To make sure you get the shot? Is that what you're thinking about? No, it? like don't pile up. Oh, like I if, see. She's gonna, if she's going to crash to the left, you better crash to the right. And he right. did. And he so. crashed to the right. I crashed to the left. Both bikes were down. And yeah. Wow. Now, is anybody around to see this going on? Uh, they didn't. They didn't see yeah. it happen. But there were. There was a car that came up right after, and like obviously checked to see if we were okay. Moxie. So Moxie was fine. She was harnessed into the cockpit, and I. Uh, when I let her down, she was just so excited. She started jumping on us, and she wanted to go play fetch. And, and there's mud everywhere, right? So now <laughs> she's covered in mud. The car is coming, asking if we're okay. I'm trying to like contain my dog, who's so excited. And Greg is there trying to like review the bikes to make sure that they're still okay and rideable. <laughs> and the person coming up is probably saying, "Where'd the dog come from?" Yes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I saw a, a photo I think you put up on Instagram and, and I think Jess, you were making comments on it. The, the bike was down and you made comments on it about um, being judged with it. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I, it's, it's one of those things that when, when, when the bike is down, people will, will sort of, I have this feeling, I used to have this feeling that people would be looking at it like, like silly girl, like, why are you riding this bike? It's like too big for you. You've obviously dropped it. So something's wrong. You shouldn't be on it. And it's, it's sort of this, this internal dialogue that I, I used to have about riding. Um, and, and you asked about what I was concerned about with the off-road and, and the falling. It was a lot of judgment. I was concerned about other people thinking that I wasn't good enough to be riding. So I, I really struggled with that. And so when these things used to happen, I could get really worked up about it, that I was, that people were, were looking at me and, and just thinking negative things. And then I start thinking negative things and then the whole confidence issue starts coming into play and then it makes it worse the next time. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it, lately I've gotten so much better with just letting it happen. Um, I've, we've, I've been riding now for 10 years. Um, when I go down, you know, I'm, I'm okay. If people see it, you know, that stupid, silly one where I just here in Utah, I just off camber and I just dropped my bike. Uh, I just laughed, you know, those people were there and they saw it. Uh, other people passed by, asked if I was okay. Yeah, I was fine. Um, and it's just sort of, it's, it's part of the whole experience. And I've really taken that to heart and I, I'm not as concerned as I used to be, but um, I do remember that feeling well of of people sort of watching me and judging me and feeling like I wasn't good enough. Mm. Yeah, that's tough. And then, like you said, it eats into your confidence and then just gets worse. It's that it's the same as you check in the track on the on, yes. on Google Maps. <laughs> exactly. I'm, exactly. I'm I'm just getting into my own head about these things and. Um, I think it was because I, I just didn't know any better. I, all I could do was research. And those are those things that I would sort of stick to of, of trying to figure out what the road was going to be like ahead of time or, or sort of anticipating what people's feelings were going to be about me. It's, it was this whole thing that, I, that I've gone through. And I'm not saying that I'm cured of it all. There's, it's still there sometimes and, and I get into my head, but it's definitely gotten a lot better. And, and this trip has really, helped me with it, having to ride sort of day in and day out. You're not really on a time schedule, as, as you mentioned, it, it seems fairly open it's other than your work schedule during the week. And, and certainly you can, you can do that. 
what in this adventure is the difficult part for you? Boy, that's, that's a good question. I mean, um, the, the riding, I think it's, it's a series of challenges and I think we, we try to like set it up that way. I mean, um, the, as you said, the work's always there. The, the Dempster getting to the Arctic Ocean was sort of this big challenge that was out there. And the whole sort of theme of that period of the trip really was around just building the skills and the confidence to do that, you know, to tackle it. And, and kind of that, that idea of like, look, whether you make it or not, because of course, the further we go north, the more people you'd run into that were coming back from it and either were successful or in plenty of cases not, you know, it was just about having sort of moxie, let's say <laughs> to, you know, to, to tackle it, say, I'm going to, I'm going to give it a go and, um, and do the best I can with it. And so that, that was kind of, I guess that, that first big challenge that we were practicing towards that we were working towards. And, and, um, and I think a lot of like hearing Jess now and the way she's talking is, is not sort of like, okay, I've reached the Arctic ocean, but it's, it's being a, a little bit of time removed from that big challenge and having had some time to kind of digest it. And, mm -hmm. and all of this, like that I'm hearing from her is, is very recent in that sense. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so that type of a trip, like it's, it, we're, we're, we all kind of, you know, oh, adventure, epic, everything's epic, you know, but something like that, that Arctic trip, um, really where you're not just going through sort of a long off road, but, um, sort of through the wilderness. Mm -hmm. I mean, you are removed from sort of the normal supports that we sort of rely on that if I get into a bind, I, you know, AAA, like you said, or something like that. Um, you know, you kind of come out of that a little bit, I think for us transformed. I mean, we were not new riders and yet I feel like a different rider mm -hmm. since then. Yeah, me too. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, the, the challenge, certainly that was kind of the first one. And then, I mean, now we look at sort of the Carretera Austral and frankly Baja, because Baja is a, is a bit of a boogeyman for Jess. It's where she had her first off-road attempt uh, years ago mm -hmm. and her first off-road misery yes, and her first off-road falls. Falls, yes. <laughs> and are practically our first, uh, we weren't married at the time, but our first separation <laughs> as a result were, were of they, that. Were they related? <laughs> yes. Uh, all, all tied 100 to, to yes. Baja sand. Sand. Mm -hmm. Right. So, yeah. So, you know, gravel and mud and dirt was up there and now Baja throws, you know, sand in your way uh, and that particular challenge. Um, so you kind of can't help, I guess, but, but grow, I guess, a little bit stronger and then look towards the next thing that scares you a little bit. Yeah. Greg, you just mentioned that by doing the trip to the Arctic, you, f you feel like a new rider. Jess, you chimed in and said you as well. Mm -hmm. What about that makes you feel that? Is it the accomplishment of getting to the Arctic Ocean or is it enduring the, the trip up and back or a combination? Yes and yes. Yeah, I mean, I, go ahead. To me, you know, I I had done a few kind of multi-day, primarily or entirely off-road uh, trips, like in in Mexico and stuff. Something about the Arctic, again, you you really have this feeling like you're going into the wilderness. We had we had stretches where, yeah, you know, there's some RVs, there's some four-wheel drives and things, and then we had other stretches where, like, I ticked off. Uh, I counted like 50 plus kilometers without seeing another soul. And then a car would pass or something. And then another 40 kilometers without seeing anybody, you know, so 
it gives you just this different feeling like you're moving further and further away from Yeah, Greg would always be saying like, oh, now we've hit the north. Like we would hit one town and then we'd go a little bit further. And he's like, no, now this is the north. It was like always a progression. And then finally, when we got to the very tip of it, it was like, okay, now we've made it. And this is, this is from someone who, you know, grew up in Southern California, lives further south in Guatemala. So for me, it's like we went into BC and I'm like, whoa, yeah, we're you- like north of the wall. I'm like uh, <laughs> among the wildlings here or something, you know? <laughs> so, but um, yeah, so so there, there really is something. Not, it's just, it's the remoteness of it too, mm-hmm. you know, like having, yeah, wild, yeah. yeah, like uh, Greg got a puncture on the way back and it was just, we obviously in the middle of nowhere uh, and it just happened to be that we were on an airstrip, an emergency airstrip where he ended up getting this puncture in his tire. We were there on the side of the road fixing it. We were still hundreds of kilometers from the end of the dumpster because this was on our way back down. And uh, we just had to deal with it then and there. There was nobody who was going to come and help us. Um, it probably would be about a thousand dollars probably to get our, us, us towed back and and probably not that day. Um, so we had to to deal with that situation. Um, and so then, you know, we're, we're pulled over there. And in fact, um, I had some sidewall damage mm-hmm. because where this puncture occurred was like in a um, road construction area where everything had narrowed out, you know, the, you the traffic off. was now bottlenecked. So there was nowhere to pull out. And it was more of like that kind of aggregate rather than just the small gravel. Um, and so you kind of, you know, I felt that, that it was getting squiggly. But I was like, there's just, just, you got to ride it. Like there's nowhere to pull over. So we pulled over finally after that, where this emergency airstrip was. Um, and then all of a sudden a couple of, uh, uh or a, um, a truck comes mm-hmm. over. And they're like, hey, can you guys, you know, move out of the way? Um, we're about to take these two Cessnas off. <laughs> and we're and looking at my side. did you get your bike apart at that point? Well, we had just started kind of appraising the the situation. And we kind of look up at him. We're like, uh, not really. <laughs> He's like, well, just make sure your dog doesn't run out. We're about to take off. And so, like, you know, we're, we're puncturing this. I got the mini compressor going while a pair of Cessnas are taking off. Like from, right behind you know, us. Like, <laughs> so, well, and this was part of this, like, sort of, I guess, maybe silly idea that, you know, we, we, we made it to the north over several days because we kind of wanted to experience it and, you know, wild camped along the way. And so then we had this kind of silly idea that, well, it's pretty much stays light here 24 hours a day, mm. right? Let's like ride the whole thing back in, in a stretch, like in a day. We had done an, an iron tail. So let's do a gravel tail. <laughs> <laughs> um, and everything was going great. We, we camped at the Arctic Ocean. We set out leisurely the next day because like you just have light, right? Um, and then we get to this stretch that they call what's Hurricane it Alley. Hurricane Alley. And sometimes it's not windy. And this time it was pretty, pretty unpleasant. (laughs) (laughs) And his 24 hours of sunlight was not so because it was now uh, August at the beginning of August. So we're now further away from the summer solstice. And so now it does start to get a little bit dark, like it gets twilighty. And that was what was killing me because I couldn't see the gravel very well. Uh, Because when you're riding the stretch, like you're basically riding in the car tire tracks um, and anything outside of that, there's deeper gravel. And so I'm standing on this stretch riding the the dirt and the wind leaning against the wind yeah the wind is just 
blasting at me. And so I'm trying not to get caught outside of the tire tracks because then it starts to get really squiggly. And so we did, we did have to bail out at that time. And I think Greg was a little bit relieved that I said that like we needed to stop. He wanted to to do the stretch. Um, but I think that this was one of those situations where uh, he was okay with the change in the, um, in the plan. In the plan. <laughs> no, for sure. We like, we, we started sort of desperately looking for rock quarries and stuff, you know, wild sites that had some protection right from the elements because that wind was was brutal and it's one of those things where it's after midnight you finally pull over and find a spot and then you almost almost drop your bike because you sort of <laughs> didn't realize how how tired you were yeah, yeah like your whole mm-hmm. equilibrium and everything um and you know that then leads to the next th- that night it started raining and the next day it was raining <laughs> and so now oh. you're right and you know so it's like um nothing is easy yeah <laughs> <laughs> Well, and, and that goes back to what I was asking. What was the, what was the difficult part? But, it, but it's just, it's, it's really the adventure, isn't it? I mean, you know, those, those times are difficult, but they're always the times that, that really, that you think about the lament when you're back home are, are those times that you had difficulty where you had to overcome something. No, an amazing part of the experience as well, because we, we were saying before about, um, you know, riding as the mud was kind of progressive and the rain was progressively getting worse and seeing cars pulled over. And we'd started talking over the cardos like, um, you know, I don't know, maybe like at this at this pace, it's going to take us days, not hours <laughs> and probably multiple clutches. So yeah. and just as we come over a rise and it levels out a bit, we look to the left and there's two bikes that have, you know, pulled themselves over and set up tents. Mm-hmm. And Jess is like, that looks like a really nice yeah, place. Yeah, there's to- <laughs> a lot of space there for us to put up our tent. That's great. Let's let's pull over. Let's just see what they're doing. <laughs> let's say hi to the locals. <laughs> and a couple of really nice guys who were on their way up. And I think both had had a tip over on the, uh, on through the, the, mud the mud coming up. And it's just sort of decided like this, this and no further. <laughs> yes. So they stopped. We stopped. We had a nice evening uh, with the two Canadian guys. And uh, yeah, it was, it's what we needed. The, if we had continued, it would have been miserable. We definitely would have gone down at some point and um, it, it just wasn't necessary. So we waited that night in the morning, the sun came out. Uh, we waited just a little bit longer for it to sort of bake the the dirt a little bit um, and there were still a few tough stretches, but for the most part, it, it dried up. The the Dempster, you know, as you mentioned, has all kinds of moods. And you hear about it from, from people, you know, like you said, somebody will ride it on a gold wing and say, you know, <laughs> they, they went up and back, no problem at all. Others have horror stories about it. Do you have some advice from your perspective for the Dempster, for, for anyone considering the Dempster? Mm-hmm. Well, I think... Um, one of the, the the takeaways that we had from it is um, you, needing to have the sort of flexibility for for your timing. We've come across a lot of people that um, were not prepared to camp, and that adds a huge anxiety. Even mm-hmm. if you're not a camper, like you really need to have the equipment. Uh, some people, you know, there's there are accommodations, very few and far between, but you can ride the Dempster and never pitch a tent. At so long as the elements allow you to. And it gets really dangerous when it's, um, you know, oh, I've got another 100 kilometers to go and and I'm just totally blasted out mm-hmm. or the, the weather has gone bad and I have never wild camped. Um, I don't or I don't have the equipment. So, you know, being able and comfortable to sort of just, well, this is my home for the night makes a huge difference, not just to really improving the, the quality of the experience, but also your safety. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, 
yeah, absolutely. Like the the areas where they're working on the road are always like 10 Those times worse. Those are the worst. worst. Yeah, it was, it was funny because I... I kept thinking, so obviously I have in my mind, everyone's telling me this is like the hardest off road and all of that. So I kept like anticipating that the next stretch was going to be worse. And this next stretch wasn't worse, but what was the the bad part were the construction sites because that's where they basically either pulled up everything. And so now you're riding in like dirt, like uh, loose dirt that they've now put water on to keep the dust down. And so now it's mud. And so you're riding through these really slippery mud sections or they've pulled, they're, they're redoing the road and they've got huge aggregate down, like really big sort of boulders that are all just loose and you're sliding right through that stuff. Um, so to be honest, uh, out of the whole Dempster, the worst parts were the construction areas. Mm. So something to and watch that, for, but you can't really avoid it. You're, you're stuck going. No, with it. there's no exactly. detour. There's nothing you could do. You have to get your bike through that. Um, you, you, you just have to. There's only the one road. Yeah. And I would say another piece of it too. I mean, everybody kind of has to judge their own, their own skill level and so forth. I think we came across a fair number of people that maybe weren't quite at the level that they needed to be, at least Mm -hmm. to do it comfortably. I mean, there is a difference, right? Between I've enjoyed this and I'm ready for more versus like this really pushed me to my limit Mm -hmm. and maybe I didn't, I didn't enjoy it. Like it was an adventure, but I don't want to ever do it again. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think part of that, that um, worked out well for us is that because we didn't have, you know, a two week stretch where we had to get from, I don't know, Idaho or something mm-hmm. up there and back, like we were able to take dirt roads and, and forest roads and stuff along the way and kind of not just go all out on tarmac and then not be, I guess, sort of off-road ready mm-hmm. when you get there, if mm-hmm. that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Sort and, of in the groove and practiced. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and that goes back to what we're talking about is, is the confidence because once you're at your riding at your maximum, you're scared and you lose mm-hmm. your confidence. And then the whole thing just goes downhill from there. I mean, Chris mm-hmm. Birch was just saying, um, he was on the show for rider skills and he was just saying that he always rides at, I think he's at 80, 90% of his level. Cause he says, I need an out. So I'm not going to mm-hmm. ride to a hundred percent of my skill level. And for just that reason, right? I mean, if, if you're maxed out, then all you're going to do is get scared and, and sort of go backwards from there. So, so you would highly recommend some sort of training, I'm assuming, uh, before you go some sort of off-road training or experience at least. Yeah, it's, it's necessary. And even if you feel like you're like this great off-road rider, there's nothing stopping you from just doing a refresher so that you practice those skills because you might not be doing it on in your normal rides. Either you might be riding on tarmac a lot of the time and you're not practicing on the dirt or you are doing it on the dirt and you might just need to sort of remember how to do those, how to do those skills. Um, so yeah, I recommend it for anybody, um, new riders and experienced riders too, because you could always pick up something new. Um, you might've picked up bad habits also that, that the trainer could see as well, because yeah, Gina saw a bunch of things that I was doing that uh, that I just thought were normal and it was what I was doing to get through it. Um, but she really was able to identify them. And then with that, I was able to fix it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. One of the great things about having pro eyes watching you, cause we all have those, those, uh, things that we've learned by ourselves and, and are doing wrong or could improve on. Um, you know, that, that's a, that's a, a really good point. The, the North being that, and it sounds like you guys have really been taken by this too. Like this was quite an experience for yes. you, um, the, the whole thing of the Arctic. So is, is that going to be hard to sort of beat, you know, cause a trip should, uh, in my mind, it should start out good and get better as you go. But that's, that's a pretty amazing adventure. And it's, and it's quite the environment that you won't find anywhere else as far as remoteness. Uh, I don't think on your travels, 
Is that going to be tough to beat? Well, I really hope so. Like, I hope that it plants a flag and it gives us something to strive for, right? Mm -hmm. In that sense, like, uh, I, I welcome that challenge. Um, and I think, yes, I mean, it will be, but we'll find a way to, <laughs> to if not top it, at least um, uh, push it further. Um, and, and yeah, I think, you know, the other piece of it too is like the Dempster isn't the only option. So then coming back down, I mean, there's the, what is it? The Alaska Highway that is kind the top of your- of the World Highway? Well, there's oh. the Alaska Highway that's your sort of common way, I guess, through, uh, through Whitehorse and then on to Fairbanks and that, mm-hmm. that type of thing. But there's a sort of lesser highway that's the four that is another like 250 kilometers, 300 kilometers of, of gravel um, and is in some ways more um, remote mm-hmm. than the Dempster. I mean, you just see nobody for hours and hours and hours. And, you know, that was that example of kind of coming back and oh, the big adventure or that big challenge is over. Now we're headed, you know, headed south. And then all of a sudden you're in this thing's like, wow, like I'm, I'm totally at the edge of my seat again. This is absolutely fantastic. And there's bears. <laughs> <laughs> That's always nice. Although not so great. Look, it can be unnerving when you're camping. Yeah. yeah. We, we had our first bear banger experience. So now, <laughs> you know, I feel <laughs> oh, you, mean you had to fire to- one? Well, no, we, we have practiced them. We, have we, oh, we thought it might be, it's sort of like that thing where you don't take tools on the road unless you know how to use them. Right. So then we, we got the bear bangers when we were in British Columbia and at our first campsite, which was right near um, an area where the bears normally come for fishing and they come and do the salmon, salmon yeah. run. Uh, we, we decided to practice it. And, uh, so now we know how to use it. So Greg has them beside him in, in our tent. <laughs> and the thing with the bear banger, as you guys know, is that it's, it's a little cartridge that you fire and there's a pop when you fire it, but that's not the pop. <laughs> no, it's, exactly. It's a double pop. <laughs> right, it's like it, the one there and then it goes way over there and you have to make sure that you don't, that they told us when we bought them that make sure that you don't shoot it past the bear because then the bear could run towards you. Right. It'll get scared <laughs> from the second pop. Yes. Right. Yeah. And it's not just a pop. The other one sounds like more like a shot gun going off. Yes. It's an incredible explosion. But yes, that's the problem. It fires quite a distance. I guess it depends on the one, but maybe mm-hmm. uh, 20, 30 feet yep. before it explodes. And yeah, you can overshoot the bear and have the bear running back at you, <laughs> which it never would have done to begin with. You know, you, exactly. you sort of create something. Yeah. Well, we thought the bangers would be better than the bear spray because bear spray suggests that the bear is, is pretty close. You bear, know, bear like spray it's- is hand-to-hand <laughs> combat. That's what yes. like, when you talk about using bear spray, you're talking about, okay, now it's hand-to-hand combat, me and the bear, and I'm going to spray it in the eyes. And that takes has so yes. many problems with it. Yes, exactly. Yeah, we and were, we were concerned of like a misfire. Yeah. Let's be and we're also concerned having like our German shepherd with us that like we need to make sure that we can like control her when the bear is there. So if if we are like hand to hand combat with the bear spray, that suggests that Moxie is like right up beside that bear. So we got to mm. be careful. Yeah, it, it's re- very close proximity. I've never had to use one with a bear, but it's very close proximity and you spray. So you spray it mm-hmm. out and it can blow around and it does and comes back on people. Or yeah. if the animal makes contact with you after you've sprayed it, which is a very good, a very high likelihood because it's it's aggravated at that point, then you've got bear spray on you from the animal. So yes. it's a tough one. Yeah, you've got like, you know, your bear wound plus the bear spray in your eyes. Yeah. I mean- it, would be it, it does compound the. Yeah, but luckily we didn't. We never had yeah. to scare off a bear. We saw many, many bears: grizzly bears, uh, brown bears, black bears, um, all throughout that stretch. Um, but no, not uh, nobody. None of them came to us. And Moxie, uh, she would have loved it. I'm sure she gets very excited. Oh, when she she's sees in the her bears. cockpit, and she's 
like jittering in with anticipation. Excitement. Yeah, like she needs to get to them <laughs> when she sees the bear. Yes. Yeah. Well, well, we came across a, a situation where uh, this was a this was practically a tragedy, but. We came across a situation where um, bison had absolutely just taken over the road, right? So <laughs> a herd of bison, a herd of bison is is in the road. Moxie's going crazy, and all of a sudden, a um, a semi pulls up alongside me and pulled over to start, you know, filming and watching the the bison. They're like, "Hey, I think something flew off your bike back there," because <laughs> we had just pulled out from like a a town and you know, like a one horse town, right? <laughs> and uh, and and gotten some gas, and so I'm like. I know exactly what that was. I had taken my tools out to do some stuff and we, we every, you know, every stop, every gas stop, every is like a kind of show and tell with the dog in the cockpit and everything. And in this case, I did not put my tools back. (laughs) He left them on his bike. You know, you try and kind of engage with people and I'm a very limited person. That's an (laughs) introvert. And so if, if I'm engaging with somebody, like it really takes all of my, uh, present. <laughs> <laughs> and so he was answering questions about Moxie in her cockpit and he was like half doing stuff with his, with his tools. And then he left his tools on his bike and, and we rode off. And so we ride off like, okay, now we get some helmet time. You know, we go on, on sort of animal sighting, uh, mode and like, yeah, the tools just flew off. So I turn around, I'm like, Jess, you got the whole bison thing. She's like, yeah, I'm good. And I, I just start going enough. Sure enough, like my entire tool tube bag is strewn across the side of the highway about a kilometer back, mm-hmm. just outside of that town. Yeah. All the little um, bits spread yeah, out along for you to find. Every, yeah, every oh, last great. little Allen and you name it. Um, so... So Greg was on the road picking all that stuff up and I had Moxie shaking in anticipation to go and eat the bison. <laughs> and really all I can think from that, well, there's two things. One, that was really dumb of me. Uh-huh. And, you know, do your check every time before you start off, of course. But number two, at the end of the day, that's really fortuitous because I could have gone for I know. endlessly and never even realized it. But I was able to, you, you know, recoup almost everything except everything. for the, the lid for the tool tube itself. Yeah. <laughs> Is that right? That, wow. that, that, that semi rode over was, yeah. and, and crushed. So I had no lid, but I had all the tools and, you know, and we, we absolutely did need them further down the road. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would have been a nightmare to, to go back and find that they're gone in particular yeah. have the, the breakdown, but, but that's, you know, it's easy to do. We've all done that sort of thing. It's like the people you see, they, they go to get in their car and their hands are full. So they set their coffee on their roof or something yes. like that. Big mistake. I always say that stepping away from routine is a big mistake. You've got to mm. stay in that routine, you know, and do your checks and balances. Not that it never happens, but that's what you attempt to do anyway. No, so true. And, and particularly, you know, with the dog, mm-hmm. I mean, we as riders, we all kind of have our, our sort of checklist that, that we, or routine that we just kind of innately follow at some point. Right. And then you get the dog and that kind of has to become part of it. And so now she's part of it in terms of what I need to do to, when we're getting ready to go, she saddles up. I make sure that she's harnessed in the front and the back. She gets her goggles on make sure that her schnout has her schnout bomb on it so she doesn't get sunburned. Then you and stop then I, because the uh, SUV pulls up when it's like 100 <laughs> plus degrees and they want to take photos. So then you, you stop and, you know, take like it. And, and then, then finally I continue. I can put all of my stuff on. But then it's the same thing when we stop again. Like I have to make sure that like I actually get myself ready first before I let Moxie down. Because if I'm not ready and I let Moxie down and she sees something, like I need to be prepared to to control my dog. So I'm always making sure that I'm ready and prepared before uh, I do anything with her. So that that added to my routine. Um, and that's what I do every time now. 
Does Moxie slow you down because of all of this? I mean, that sounds like quite a bit, or do you have it just as part of your routine? No, it's, it's just part of the routine now. It's, it's really quick. She doesn't require much because she leaps right up onto the cockpit. I don't have the lifter or anything. She's harnessed in with three buckles, basically, and then her, her rec specs goggles. And then if we're on the interstate, I put on her ear pros that protect her ears and, um, from the wind and the noise. So no, she doesn't really require much. And, and there has only been, she's never had a time uh, on this whole trip where she has slowed us down or told us that she needed to stop. Like we do a pretty good job in terms of the routine of making sure that she pees and poops before she gets onto the cockpit. Um, when we stop, we make sure that she has her water and everything that she needs. So while we're having an energy bar, she's having her, her snack. Yeah, and, and really quite the opposite in the sense of, I mean, you think about when we did the iron tail we made the mistake of uh, rather than picking like a motel that side of the interstate, which is the smart way to do it. <laughs> um, we wanted to stop in this little, I guess, like ex mining town of Jamestown, California, mm -hmm. because we were going to be on our way to the Horizons Unlimited event in California. And that just seemed like a oh, wonderful place to kind of do our three days of work. So I found this like really cute little motel and, and that's where we were going to end. But the one thing I didn't think about was it's, this is a an iron butt. So it's a, a thousand miles in 24 hours. And so that means if we're going to be close to the 24 hour mark when we're ending this. So we are going to be exhausted. And what you really should do is pick a hotel motel on the interstate so you could just pull off and then be done. But no, I picked this like really cute place, which had a probably an hour's worth of riding like through the through the canyons in the dark with like Going no street up, lights. getting down to close to freezing. It was like basically freezing. And this and is after the thousand mile? This is at the 19 and a half hour mark. Because of like 1,040 miles and you had a few more, you know, like, yeah, well, we did like to get extra. to a thousand miles, this is what the yep. course or the the route that we took. Yeah. So that was, that was not smart. But then when we ended, uh, so Moxie had been in her cockpit for 19 and a half hours. Like we, every, every uh, hundred miles we stopped to fill up and she, and she got down. So it's not like she would, but she was laying while we were riding, obviously. So we get to the place. Uh, I unclip her. She gets down. And then she just starts barking at us. She wants to play. She wants to play fetch. She wants to go for a run. She like. <laughs> we were half frozen, like, you know, like struggling to kind of stand and, and not sway, you know, and she's like, no, it's playtime. Yep. So big mistake. <laughs> we, we were talking uh, a couple episodes back, but we were talking about uh, camping now and, and how we used to dig holes, you know, to bury your scat. But now they're saying really most places are so busy that um, you have to take your, your, your poo out with you. Mm -hmm. So, and it got me thinking as you're talking about the dog, I'm thinking, what do you do with the dog poo? Like, how do you, how do you deal with that? Well, I mean, we've got, you know, uh, the, the poop bags, just like, uh, uh we've got the biodegradable ones yeah. and we'll, we'll collect our poop and, uh, and we'll, we'll bring it along and we'll throw it out when we can. Yeah. As part of the pack in pack out. Okay. Stop right there. Because what I'm interested in, you just said, bring it along in a vague sort of way. Where do you put the poo? <laughs> <laughs> Gregory is like my gear mule and he carries all of these things. So we can add it to his garbage that he carries out. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yes. It, it took me a while to wise up because I, uh, you know, like kind of would stuff things like, so I have two giant loop Tillamook bags, um, one beside the other on the back of my bike. And so this, you know, the rock straps that go over it, like I'd always kind of just stick something there and it would kind of hang off and look silly and, you know, but that's what you do. 
And then it never fails that you kind of get to a gas station, totally forget to. (laughs) You're carrying around your pack out from like, (laughs) you know, all day. I know. I have to remind Greg when we pass by those places on the side of the road that have the garbage. I'm like, Greg, now's the time. I have honestly used a pack out more than one day in a row because like, well, it's still there. Uh, Let's just open it again. And but uh, I digress. Um, At the uh, Touratech rally, which we were able to hit on our way up into Canada, I got uh, rock straps for the top of the panniers, like the top, like on the top side. Right. So we have the metal or the aluminum panniers. And so I have uh, the lightweight rock straps that kind of crisscross on that. And that I think. Now he stuffs everything there. Yeah. I mean, it's bad because if you have it, you'll use it. And yet at the same time, like. Nobody I mean, wants to be putting the garbage like uh, in between your Tillamooks or close to you or inside your case. This makes it so it's easy for you to see it. We can throw it out when we get to the garbage. So you're just stuffing it under a strap? Uh, I mean, a bag, like, it, you know, in, in a bag, in like a biodegradable bag. And then I'll like cinch it down to the top of the, the pannier. Mm-hmm. So like in the very same way that when we were up north and we were using the uh, the gas bags, um, we had two two gallon bags, like one for each bike. And so I, you know, put one on top of each pannier mm-hmm. and cinched it down, if that makes so sense. So that it stays in yeah, place. Yeah, I, I can picture it with, with the, as you're calling them, gas bags, the fuel yeah. bags, whatever. Um, But the poo, I'm just picturing that. So that's going to well, be squished. It's not, I mean, it's not like just a poo in the sense <laughs> of, like, you know, we, we take her, her and put it in with our, our with trash our bag trash from sort of, from the camp oh, or wherever from, we are. Yeah. That makes it from, better. <laughs> well, at least it's, it's, it's yeah, it's dispersed it, now within the bag. And it's packaged, let's yes, say. Packaged. Right. Uh-huh. I'm just thinking because we're, we're going to have to do this for ourselves eventually as, as we go to the more popular yes. spots, carry our poo out. And, I'm, and I've been sort of running it through my head since we've talked about it and thinking exactly where do I want to hang my poo? And, and I mean, <laughs> you know, when, and you have to talk about that if somebody sees it, like you said, you're pulling the gas station. It's not so bad if it's a dog's, but if it, well, anyway, I think I'm going down that. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned gas bags there. I did yeah. want to ask you about that. This is the giant loop of gas bags, which I, I've seen, but I, I have not tried. But I, that, the idea is just fantastic. Did you use them? How did it work? Yeah, the Armadillo gas bags, they, they were fantastic. Like we we filled them up uh, at that first stretch of the Dempster where we didn't think that we were going to have enough, uh, enough gas uh, to make the first stretch before the next gas station. It's about 400 kilometers, maybe a little bit less um, at, at its longest, right? Yeah, that's right. right. And you guys are, would- are both uh, F650, F800, right? So six, I have seven. a G650 and Greg has an F700. Right. Sorry, yep. so, but they're both 16 liter tanks? Yes, right. mm-hmm. exactly. So we had two two liter, uh, two gallon bags. Right. And then on the way back, it was uh, even longer because we were hitting one, you know, one of the gas stops. Was closed because late. we were doing yeah. our, we were trying to get through the night, but so that didn't happen. Pretty <laughs> essential. The, and the really great thing, at least in my mind, about the gas bags versus, I guess, like a, a hard, yeah. you know, rotopax or something is that when you're not using them, they just roll up. And we stashed them sort of on the underside of my luggage rack, uh, sort of on the back of the bike. So it's rolled up like a little sort of tube mm-hmm. and it's stashed on the underside there. You can't really see it. It's out of the way. And it doesn't get in the way of other things. So yeah, nothing but good experiences. And as then goes. we could just, anytime that we stopped for a break, we could just fill up a little bit so that there was less weight in the gas bags and it was actually in the bike. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, and that was uh, Harold from Giant Loop told us that. He's like, don't wait until you need to like fill up completely when you're out of gas to use your gas bags. Use them as you go so that you're you're, you're reducing the weight on the top of your cases. That was that a really uh, great recommendation from him. And it is one in the plus column, but it does not, you know, fully remove the fact that he basically caused our, our, <laughs> our, our painted hills hills. crash. I mean, it's <laughs> <laughs> doesn't entirely offset. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. No, I love the idea that the, the, the bag to roll it up. I have a Rotapax as well and, and it's okay. I mean, it, it works fine. It does the job, but it, um, the idea of, of uh, carrying it around empty is always a pain in the butt. So the idea of mm-hmm. taking these bags and just using them and rolling them up and then you take them with you. I mean, you guys are going to have them for your whole trip. Yeah. Yeah. Greg has them nicely stashed right under there and, uh, we haven't had to use them. Since no, then. we used them again oh, on that Highway Four, uh-huh. which which uh, at least is sort of desolate in that sense mm-hmm. as the Dempster. So yeah, I mean, um, we're not we're not someone's that kind of worry too much about finding gas. Our experience has generally been that you know most places um, someone somewhere has, um, and yet it's it is a constant source of anxiety when you look. You're kind of doing the calculations and realize. I'm not going to make it. Yeah. And I don't want to ride like that. If I know that, if I see that we've missed a gas station or something like that, we'll turn around and get gas um, because I don't want to have that anxiety going on. Like, are we going to make it or not? With 16 liters, your bikes, the most you're going to get is 325, 325 kilometers, maybe something like that out of a tank. Yeah. yeah, We rarely get that. Well, when you're fully loaded. When we're fully loaded. Yeah. With Moxie. Mm-hmm. Right. And then of course the driving conditions, the riding conditions rather, if you're into gravel or anything off-road. But I, the thing with it is though, it is like there are many gas stations around, but all it takes is getting lost, making a wrong turn and getting a detour. <laughs> yeah. I mean, how many times have we had this? And that's when it puts a stress on you. You look down, you realize I'm getting low here and I don't know how much further I have to go. Yes. Especially when you're like trying to find like a campsite or something like that. And we're going through the, some dirt stretches and we're off the main road and where it's getting dark and we're trying to find a place that we can't and we don't end up locating it. And then we're really worried about, OK, now we don't even have enough gas. Let's we need to actually stop now and really figure out what we're doing. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, you, you mentioned you went to Overland Expo and, and you were you were presenting there as well. What, what was Overland Expo like for, for someone who hasn't been there? Oh, it's a it's a really interesting uh, event. It's like a candy store, only like <laughs> you know the biggest candy store that you've ever seen. I right? like that. Yeah. So it has like all vendors, like so they it's a it's a mix. It because they also have so Overland Expo has off roading vehicles, like those big like giant earth mover type vehicles. End of days type of. <laughs> <laughs> so they do a lot for those big RVs um, and and things like that. But then there's a big motorcycle component as well. So you get all the motorcycle vendors there. You'll get uh, all of the um, the manufacturers for the bikes as well. So you can do all demo rides. But the best thing about Overland is they have these classes that you attend or these courses or, or um, lectures um, on all different topics when it comes to overlanding. Everything from like camping on the road to survival skills to regional roundtables where you'll talk about what it's like traveling in Alaska, for example. All of these different things by people who have done it before, um, people who are experienced. I was on a panel about traveling with pets. Um, so people who want to bring their dogs along or cats or whatever animals that they have and the things that you need to consider and advice that we can provide. So it was a great way to sort of get into that community of overlanding. There were a lot of like first timers who 
who never had never really either crossed a border or even really gone out and camped. They might have gotten the equipment, but never really got out to do it. So it's a great place where you can build that community and even find like a travel partner as well to to go out with. Yeah, that was a huge part for us. I mean, living out in Guatemala, we'd get travelers come through, but you know, we never really felt like a community in that sense, other than what you get online. Mm-hmm. And so that was just a real kind of eye opener um, for when we were in Flagstaff mm-hmm. uh, again on our way up. Um, and and at that point, people had to sort of content themselves, I guess, with listening to uh, people like us give presentations. <laughs> but um, it it just worked out because of of heading south after the Arctic that we were able to kind of last minute drop in on uh, the one in Loveland uh, what, two weeks ago or mm-hmm. something. And that was much better because people got to um, hear from, you know, smart, uh, well-experienced people like uh, Sam Manicom. Like <laughs> <laughs> and, and I mean, he's just a fountain of knowledge and, and inspiration and motivation, um, which was just fantastic for us too. I mean, we, we listened to his, um, travel writing one, Mm -hmm. which was like, just, yeah, filled with tips, Mm -hmm. you you know, so um, really kind of a great thing. And then there's also this blend, I think, in the two communities that's starting to occur because you're seeing a lot more people who will uh, RV or truck, you know, or van life or something, and then have a motorcycle Mm -hmm. on the back. Oh, right. So maybe for some of us who are purists, that's not anyway. But (laughs) But no, there are a lot of people, motorcyclists who maybe they're traveling with their family or their wives and they or they just want some more comfort or they like the RV life. Mm -hmm. They want to bring a a bike on the back so that when they stop somewhere, they can ride the trails or they can do a bit of of an off road section. So it, it was interesting. There was a lot of crossover. So it, there were vendors that really like spoke to both sides of, of the travel world. Yeah. And, and the thing is, like with some people, this spouse is not necessarily into riding at all. So it's a great mm-hmm. way to do it if, if that's the case. The, you know, take a vehicle, tow your bike, explore by motorcycle. Both of you get to enjoy the, the trip and you still get to get some riding in. It's a great combo, I think. Yeah. And we saw people who also had the, the dirt bikes and they had e-bikes. Uh, so people started carrying e-bikes like we had somebody who had a um, um, who had his dirt bike and then he brought the the e-bike for his wife. So then, then when they go and explore together, she can go and do what she wants. He does what he wants. Uh, it was just a nice And mix. we've actually put cockpits on e-bikes <laughs> yeah. uh, in, for exactly that scenario. Yeah. You know, that people are RVing or, or, you know, kind of van lifing type of a thing. And it's like, well, we've got two e-bikes so that we can leave the trailer, the RV. And so but we don't want to leave the dog, the dog yeah. in the trailer. We want to bring the dog along. So right. we need a cockpit to, to bring the dog. <laughs> That's a good idea. Yeah, it's a really good idea. Hey, you, you mentioned this, this whole trip is, is you're raising money for Girl Up. How, and you're saying you, you've already raised some money for it. You're continuing to raise money for it. I know we talked about it before, but if someone's interested in supporting or looking what it, uh, at what it is that you're doing. Oh, and, and by the way, the other thing I, w- I want to mention here is that you're financing your trip. You're, you're raising money for Girl Up. It has nothing to do with the money for your trip. Your trip is being financed from your own pockets. Yes, exactly. So the, we're raising $100,000 for Girl Up. Uh, they were founded by the United Nations Foundation and they do girls empowerment projects all around the world in 130 countries. So Girl Up basically provides these girls about the resources that they need to advocate for issues that matter most to them. And, and they're the ones, the girls themselves are the ones that are picking these issues. 
And so Girl Up is just a support for resources, teaching them how to advocate, teaching them how to fundraise, how to manage how to programs, manage programs. It's it's really an empowering uh, project. Um, and so the money that we are raising for them goes directly to them. So when you go to goroughly.com, there's a donate button that goes directly to their system. We don't see any of that money. It goes directly to them. In the U.S., it's 100% tax deductible when you'll get a tax deduction from the U.N. Foundation. So all of that goes directly to them. We ourselves are funding our own uh, funding the adventure through through Roughly. So you can also purchase gear from Roughly. If you've got a dog, collars, leashes, beds, bandanas, they're great Christmas gifts <laughs> um, or cockpits. Uh, if you're looking to ride with your dog as well, because 10% of all of our sales go towards the fundraiser as well. No, and you know, nice. I was like content to be living in Guatemala <laughs> and trying to grow this business. Don't anybody, be a baby, Greg. You wanted to do it too. Anybody who's like, you know, got a business or started a business. I mean, it is right. Like it is. No, uh, I needed to make it work. difficult. I needed to give us another challenge. So yeah. And just had this idea to do this trip and I kind of resent her for it and yet totally don't. <laughs> <laughs> you, you've added a challenge to a challenge you were already experiencing. Yes. So. Why make life easy? Mm. We need to to challenge ourselves. Oh, but yeah, 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 and everybody can watch. We've got our video series every Sunday at 11 a.m. A new episode comes out. Um, I we think it's 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 really good. It's it's I think I would say it's sort of like a motorcycle uh, diaries or maybe like long way roundish uh, meets like a dog's purpose because we've got Moxie on the back. So it's it's really fun. You'll you'll hear our snark uh, in our episodes and you'll be able to see what it's like to travel around the world with a big dog. That's very cool. Well, we will be watching you as you continue down towards, uh, I guess, the tip of South America and then off over to Africa, I guess, is next. Jess, yep, great. exactly. Thank you very much for coming on the show. I always have a great time speaking with you. Oh, thank you thank so you. much. That was Jess and Greg Stone in uh, Utah doing a repair on their round-the-world trip. You can look them up at goroughly.com. There's two Fs in that, goroughly.com. We've got photos and the link, of course, in the show notes for this episode. We also have a link to their friend that he mentioned, Cody McAllister, the Husky and a Husky guy. And we've got a link to his YouTube channel as well, all in the show notes on our website, adventureriderradio.com. I just want to remind you that this episode has been brought to you by Green Chili Adventure Gear, greenchiliadv.com, Motobreeze Chain Oiler at motobreeze.com, and Best Rest Products at cyclepump.com. And we'd really appreciate it if anytime you're dealing with these companies, anytime, email or otherwise, let them know you heard them here on Adventure Rider Radio. Well, 
Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio, and we sure hope you enjoyed listening to it as much as we did making it. Special thanks to our producer, Elizabeth Martin, and of course to you, the listener. Thank you very much for being a part of this. There's another way you can be a part of this. Actually, a couple. I'm going to throw a few at you here. You could support the show because it is built on a model of advertising and listener support. Just drop by the website, adventureriderradio.com. Click on support. The other way you could do it is, is tell your friends about it. Of course, spread the word about the show. You could go to iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcast and give us a review. Hopefully, it's going to be a five-star review. That's what I'm, I'm really hoping for and I very much appreciate. Um, so if you can do those things, that would really be fantastic. You would really make my day doing that. We have a, a patron account. We would love to get you on there. So, I mean, anything $10 or more gets you a sticker. Anything $50 or more gets you a shout out on our Raw show. But if you really want to be part of the, the show, join the patron support. So go on there and sign up for any amount, just monthly. I mean, think about what you get from the show. Think about what a cup of coffee costs you. I don't know. You know, you figure it out. But but we would really appreciate it if you do it. As I mentioned, it is built on a model of advertising and listener support. And in case you think that we're making too much money at this, well, <laughs> think again. It's not the case. We've been doing this for over, well, over eight and a half years now and have not missed an episode yet, which means no vacations. Do you realize that? There's not been a vacation in that stretch at all. I'm not looking for sympathy here at all. I love what I do. Anyway, thank you very much. My name is Jim Martin. I really appreciate you being a part of this by listening. Thank you. Take care. I'll talk to you next week. Hey, I'm Billy Ward, sometimes known as Billy Bike Truck, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. (laughs) 